Fiber is the future, and, and that technology is where you want to end up. You are listening to episode 170 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. Earlier this month, the community of Spanish Fork, Utah, announced it would make fiber upgrades to its 14-year-old municipal coax cable network. We have followed Spanish Fork for years, as it has successfully served approximately 80% of the households in the community. This week, Chris interviews John Bocut, Director of Information Systems and Network Director for the Spanish Fork Community Network. John and Chris have spoken before, but this time the conversation focuses on the upgrade why they're making the change now, how they're funding the upgrade to fiber, and what new services will be offered to subscribers. Now here's Chris speaking with John Bocut from Spanish Fork, Utah. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with John Bocut, the Director of Information Systems and the Network Director for the Spanish Fork Community Network. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Well, I'm really excited to have you back on. It's been just a little bit over two years since you were last on in episode 60 and telling us about uh, your your excellent cable network there in Spanish Fork. Uh, But why don't you just give people a refresher? Where is Spanish Fork and what have you been doing? Well, Spanish Fork is a community of about 30,000 people. It's about 50 miles south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And uh, we got into the broadband business back in 2001, and it was really started by uh, our local community had no high-speed internet at the turn of the century in the year 2000, and the the residents were just clamoring for a solution. And this was when we really created some groups and talked to local businesses and started building the um, Spanish Fork Community Network to deliver high-speed internet to our town. And we looked originally at the possibility of doing fiber to the home. And actually, I went and visited some communities that were further along with that, either in VDSL or some other technologies, and decided that we couldn't afford it at that point. It was about three times more to do a fiber to the home solution than it would have been just to do a hybrid fiber coax. So we started in about 2000 installing a hybrid fiber coax here in Spanish Fork, um, and we started it with our first customers in July of 2001, and we have just we just had tremendous success with yeah, our community I mean, network. <laughs> sorry to sorry to jump in on no, you. No, no, no. Insert anytime you want, Chris. When you say tremendous success, you're not kidding. <laughs> yeah, it has been, and, and it's been quite surprising. We, you know, when we did our uh, original business plan, we needed to get between 20 and 30% penetration rates, well, those were really, really easy. Um, as soon as we turned on a service in a node, which, which was uh, about 300, about 150 homes per node, we'd turn on the service and it was, you know, we would grab those numbers almost immediately. And right now we're sitting at about uh, over 80% of the community of our town takes a service from us. Most of them take more than one, but some only take one. And so it's above 80% of the homes are actually connected to the Spanish Fork Community Network. And remember, this is fully owned and operated by Spanish Fork City, and we compete directly against DISH, DirecTV, and Comcast. So it's it's not a monopoly situation. We just go out there and compete directly with these other large companies and had uh, really good success. Um, a lot of it is based on 
just really good customer service, but it is also tapping into that hometown feel. Um, and, and we've had a lot of success in, in our community just by tapping into that, and, and people understand this is our network. So uh, it, it's been just a tremendous ride uh, for these <laughs> these. 15 years it's been a lot of fun yes i'll, I'll bet uh and you you started off doing the cable uh, television and internet service and then uh, a little while later you added the telephone it's been a while of doing that and uh um and then remind me you do have an electric utility that um that is part of the city as well right that's correct in fact that was critical to our su- ability to do this because we actually used an electric revenue bond to build the original system so it was the bond rates that we got when we went out and bonded for the project were based on the ability for the electric department to pay. Um, so that really helped us get the rates that we needed. Yeah, we got into the electric business in Spanish Fork at the turn of the previous century. So it would have been in the early 1900s is when Spanish Fork got into the electric business. And then we just capitalized that and really leveraged that to get into the broadband business in the 2000s. Well, do you think you're ever going to be able to pay those bonds off? The, yeah, I think we will <laughs> since we made our last payment last month. So we've actually paid off our bonds and uh, we still owe the electric department a little bit of money that we, we have most of it in retained earnings that we're going to be paying back over the next few years. But yeah, we made our last payment. Uh, it was a big day for us. So it was a 15-year uh, bond and it is now paid off. So it was about seven and a half million dollars is what we originally bonded for. Well, congratulations on that. And it's I find it interesting. We saw a similar thing in Cedar Falls where as they were paying down their debt, they decided that they would begin the transition from their cable network to a fiber to the home network. And that is what you have announced. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, why you've decided to, to go fiber to the home rather than copying Comcast and just doing a Doxis 3.1 solution or something like that? First off, fiber to the home was always in our plan. It's always been in our plan. In fact, one of the main visionaries that brought this network to Spanish Fork is the city manager, Dave Euler, who has been, at this, has been the city manager for Spanish Fork for over 30 years. So you have just a great amount of continuity. And he, he saw the vision of it. And each year he would ask me, are we ready to do fiber to the home yet? Are we ready to do fiber to the home? <laughs> After a while, it's like, Dave, not quite yet, but we're going to get there. So, I mean, this was always the plan. So from our standpoint and from my city council standpoint and administration standpoint, this is just the next step. You have a few people who are drooling over having a city manager with that kind of an attitude. I, I, I drool over it. I mean, it is a, <laughs> it is a, tr- a tremendous advantage. And, and, you know, not only attitude, but just the vision of understanding what this is going to do. It has done for our community. He could see it from the very beginning. Um, quite honestly, I think he had to convince me a little bit. Um, so I was already working for Spanish Fork City, and he had to kind of convince me, hey, this is going to be an amazing asset. So, but uh, I am, I'm, a, I'm a believer. I believe. So it, it has been a, a tremendous asset to have the administration, to have Dave Euler, Dave Euler uh, supporting us the way he has. And so why, but let's get back to the question of, you know, why not just upgrade the cable network a little bit more? Why actually go to the full fiber network? First, it was always our plan to do that because we understand that fiber is the future and, and that technology is where you want to end up. And if you just keep 
kicking the can down the road, you can do that. And, and there is, you know, there is some gain from doing that because the prices come down on fiber and on the electronics and whatnot. But um, there is a point where you, you really just have to bite the bullet. And a lot of that is just financial for us. We paid off our bond. And so for us, now is the time to just take the money that we were paying on the bond and just turning around and just applying that to the next step, which is fiber to the home. And that's our plan. So you don't actually uh, plan on uh, having to bond again to finance this? No. The intent is to take a, uh, approximately a million dollars a year and go out and build this throughout the town. It, the full build-out really starts July, which we get our new budget, uh, July of, of next year, of, of 2016. So um, our plan is then just to take that money and start building it. And quite honestly, we couldn't really build it much faster than that anyways. Um, you know, that's one of the questions that Dave Euler asked me was, can we just go out and bond and build it faster? And it's like, it really would be difficult just in the, 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 the weight of carrying uh, an existing system that is very successful, and, and, but we have you know, lots of customers that we have to take care of, and then also go out and, and start building this fiber to the home. So we really feel like about two nodes a month is the maximum that we're going to be able to convert anyway. So, um, and we can afford to do that. So we can do that with uh, the money that we're currently making on our system if we don't have to make our bond payment. So we were making our bond payment and have been making that bond payment um, for the last, well, over 10 years. So we haven't been being subsidized. Uh, we, we broke even in year four. And, so, and that included all the O&M and the bond payments. So for us, this is really pretty easy to just turn around and say, we're going to take that money and we're just going to just feed it back into the last step, which is the fiber to the home. One of the things that, that I saw was a little bit of a discussion, and I'm really curious about it, but is it true that, that, that this um, changing from the, the coaxial technology uh, to the fiber to the home is going to be aided by conduit policy that you've been pushing for the last 20 years, basically, trying to get conduit in the ground? Yeah, and when you say we, I, I, I can't take credit for this one, Chris, I'll tell you. Um, Dave Euler, before I ever worked for Spanish Fork, before anyone even had had talked about doing a community network, a, a, a municipally owned community network, um, put in place uh, a program where we were putting in a communication conduit. And so that was actually being put in in the 90s. Um, in fact, we've, we've had cities contact us and ask, well, you know, how could we do this? What should we do? And, and the, the first thing is you've got to start putting the conduit in the ground. So we have this immense network of conduit. As I've said many times to, to my city council, that is one of the real values of what we've done is that you have this network of conduit. We can put anything in that conduit. Now we're going to prove it because we're going to stuff fiber optic cable in the same conduit where we have coax. And so with the, the conduit then, um, I, I guess I'm curious, is that just down main streets? Is it down residential streets? Is it conduit that all the way goes all the way up to the side of people's homes where you have the customer premises equipment? You know, is it all three? It's all three, Chris. It is a full network of conduit that goes all the way up and down both sides of the streets where it's underground or when it's overhead. Um, then it just goes in, you know, the back of the house is on poles. 
um, obviously that's not in conduit, but all the underground, which is about two-thirds of our town, uh, is all done with, with conduit, and there's no direct berry, and we will have the ability of, of running the fiber optic cable just through that conduit exactly the way it is done now with the coax. And I guess you're going to be leaving the coax in because from what I understand of the plan, uh, people that are going to continue taking the most basic service, they'll actually remain on the coax for some time, right? Yes, and this is a little unique in what we're doing, Chris, in that we are actually going to keep our cable television on the coax. Remember, we are limited by state law. We can't go outside of our city limits. I have over 80% of the homes already connected, and so really you're only talking about the new growth is the main thing um, that we would do it. So we already have a coaxial plant in there, so our plan is to move the telephone service and the uh, Internet services, especially the uh, higher tier services, over to a fiber-to-the-home situation. And eventually all of the Internet may be on that, but initially at least the starter tier, which is kind of we're trying to make people understand or help people understand that the starter tier is really just for you know checking your Facebook and your email and that kind of thing instead of trying to stream. Um, as you get up into the upper tiers, those are going to be automatically converted over, and we're going to keep all of our cable television over on that coax. So we will maintain that coaxial plant. Like everybody, though, we are shedding customers when it comes to cable television. Um, you know, we're seeing the younger crowd that is just not connecting or they're just deciding to go with their Netflix and other services. And so for us, the whole conversion to a full IP um, delivery of our cable television is, is daunting, it's expensive, uh, it's a lot of tech. Um, there's a lot of people who have problems with that technology. It's hard to deliver it. Um, so for us, we think the best solution is to just go ahead and maintain a coaxial plant for the delivery of cable television. You had mentioned the state law that limits your ability to serve those who are even, as I recall it, directly across the street from your head end, unfortunately. Um, with the fiber network, does the state law still apply or is that really related to the, the, t the television uh, product? It is still applying and, and you know we have comments on our Facebook pages and we get telephone calls and emails from our, our surrounding communities and uh, we just can't deliver the service. It's against the law for us to deliver the service in Utah. So we have to tell them no. And, you know, we'd love it if the, the new FCC rulings um, and rules would make a change to that. But, you know, really from what we see, it's got to be challenged. And, and we're not sure where that challenge is going to come from in Utah. It's, it's hard. I mean, it is a, a very conservative state. And uh, we're just not sure how that's all going to play out. We'll see over the years. Well, I think there's, there's probably going to be more motivation. I mean, you have – this is one of the greatest disparities that we'll see in the nation. I mean, you have Utopia delivering gigabit services now for a long time. You have Provo with Google. You have Salt Lake City, soon to be Google. You have you. The people who are just outside of those areas, I mean, particularly ones who are just outside you or Utopia who are not allowed to get it, I got to think they're going to be you know, writing to their elected officials maybe once or twice a month. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, that that certainly if I if I could, that's what I would do. But I yeah, it's it's a little out of our hands. Um we would like to service the communities around us and we'd like to move into those areas, but we really need the pressure I think to come from them more than from us right. to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's sort of <laughs> that's how democracy works.
we hope. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more. Uh, I just want to ask about the speeds because I noticed that your new packages, you are still retaining the characteristics of uh, the asymmetrical. Your your upstreams are lagging behind your downstreams, and I'm I'm curious why that decision was made for those packages. Actually, the packages you're seeing are we just did a speed upgrade on the old coaxial plan. So what you're seeing is that the speeds will be symmetrical on the fiber to the home solution. So. And this is a little bit different in that you, know, you look at Google. I mean, really, Google's plan is you know you're going to have this one uh, one speed fits everybody type of a thing. And for us, we have to be very aware of our community network. And so we do will continue to have multiple tiers. We do have our starter tier, which is currently uh, 12 megabits down, and it would it will stay the same because it's going to stay on uh, cable modem. And then your plus tier, which is currently 60 megabits down, but is asynchronous because it is on a cable modem, is actually going to go to 100 megabits up and down on the plus tier. The premium tier will be the full gigabit service. So you'll be able oh, okay. to get a gigabit service for $68, and that's, that's synchronous up and down one gigabit. Wow, that's remarkable. And that's actually, I mean, that's very close to the, uh, the pricing that Chattanooga uses as well. So um, it's in, and obviously then you're just you're right around the same ballpark that, that Google is. So uh, it seems to be sort of the, the standard more or less. There's a few communities who have come in under and a few communities who come in a bit over. But that $70 for a gig seems to be something we're seeing pop up a lot of places. And I think it's a good price point. Um, I think the difference for us is we're not going to force everybody to go to there. I mean, with the Google, there's the you know at least in Provo they have their little bitty service, and then they then the next jump is the full seventy dollars. Yes. And so for us, the, the the financing is going to be a little different because of the number of customers that will actually take the premium service isn't going to be as great because you do have a hundred megabit service at least for the next couple of years, right? But as we all know, those needs are growing. Whether you're looking at Sandy, Oregon or Longmont, I believe. Um, no, maybe Longmont might be doing the same thing as Google. But um, but the number of these places do still have at least two tiers. So uh, right. you're in you're in pretty you know good company there. I, I think that's the right solution. I do. The thing is, though, I always get hung up on the you know what I think is interesting, the speeds and, and the technology. But ultimately, why this matters is the impact on the community. And and I'm curious, you know, if anything's changed in the last two years. When we had talked before, uh, you were talking about savings in the community because of your network on the order of two and a half million dollars per year, which is remarkable. Is that still what you're seeing? I mean, it's a little higher than that. Um, my my last calculations were closer to $3 million per year in savings. And, and really there, we're just saying if, if we weren't here and you were having to pay the price for a Comcast service, here's what the difference would be. We've seen some price increases on the Comcast service in uh, in our area. So uh, it's it's actually improved a little bit from where we were. And as the community network, though, it is, you know, it's bigger than just price. Price is obviously important, don't get me wrong, but it is bigger than that. You know, we have our own cable channel. We deliver just a tremendous amount of content. I'll tell you, there's a, um, they're looking at, at putting in a, uh, a rec center here in Spanish Fork, and they had a public meeting last Tuesday night. And uh, a couple of the people who came in said, well, I was watching this at home, and then I, wanted, I, I heard how the conversation was going, so I ran down here so I'd have a chance to talk. Those are the kind of things you can do for your community that are very unique and uh, are really a, a super asset. And, and we've had a tremendous amount of success 
with those kinds of things in, in our community network. Right. Well, I, I remember you saying that Comcast actually does not have the, the public channel that you do uh, for the community. That's correct. I mean, we are we now actually deliver it on YouTube for free, and we oh, actually okay. have a website where people can go. So we do deliver that for everyone. But yeah, Comcast obviously does not carry the channel. It's it's exclusive to our cable system. And have you seen any any examples of economic development of either you know, businesses moving in, or you know of businesses that are looking around and thinking, "Wow, I've got a really good deal compared to my competitors." You know, that's happening uh, more and more. I mean, it's hard to quantitatively measure that because it is, you know, one part of a of a complicated question when they're looking to move into your community. And I, I and I've always felt that it's very difficult to say this is, you know, we can say we brought in X number of millions of dollars in sales tax or taxes of uh, property taxes because of this. It, it really is difficult to do that. It, at least it is for me. Maybe other people have a, a, a better algorithm than I have for it, but. On the other hand, it is something that we tout every time when we talk to these businesses, and we do get feedback from them that they say, yes, that is something they are looking for is the ability to deliver a fiber to the business. Now, we've been doing fiber to the business since the very beginning, so we have a number of our larger businesses here in town, and we don't have a lot in Spanish Fork, but a lot of big businesses, but uh, we do have some that we deliver high speeds either in transport and or in Internet access to those businesses here in town. Most of our business customers, though, are mom and pop shops, and so we service those on a cable modem network that will be converted over to a fiber to the business network. And how are you going to decide which nodes to convert first? Are you doing a popularity contest, or is it just technical considerations? (laughs) No, it's a dartboard. I've got a dart. (laughs) You know, and they asked, because we already had our launch in our first node, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, people asked me, why did you pick that node? Is that where all your employees live? And I'm like, we actually don't have any in that particular node. <laughs> um, it was picked for some you know, different kinds of reasons. The first node is picked for certain characteristics that exemplify what we wanted. They need to be, it needed to be typical of most of our installations in our community. Um, and so we wanted something that would give us a good feel for how the installation is going to go. We wanted to be able to use different kinds of technologies, so um, those technologies might fit better in certain kinds of circumstances, and so those are the kinds of decisions that went into play when we made the decision on the first node. The following nodes will be based um, on the fact that this is one, where can we, you know, where's the, the, the best cost savings for us to move to the next. So it won't probably be random or anything like that. It'll just be a matter of growth from there on out. But it'll be happening so quickly. If you're going to do two nodes a month, it's going to be happening very, very quickly. So we think we can appease most of the people um, just by the the sheer speed of the growth. Excellent. Well, is there anything else that that we've missed that we should uh, learn about uh, what's been going on in the last few years or what's about to happen? You know, it's an exciting time for us. Um, You know, our city council is firmly behind the project. Uh, we talk about the administration being behind it, but <laughs> you really have to have the city council uh, there and understanding what's going on. And we have you know, regular update meetings with them to keep them informed. We have a lot of excitement in our community, and, and you want to feed that excitement. It, it is a little bit of just controlling the excitement because it isn't going to happen overnight. But on the other hand, you don't want to dampen it too much because that excitement obviously is important to your success. 
but uh, yeah, we continue to grow, we continue to be successful, and, and now we really feel like this last step is just going to reap the rewards of the success that we have built. Excellent. Well, congratulations, and I'm excited to learn what Thank happens you. next. Thank you for coming on the show. You're very welcome, Chris, anytime. That was Chris talking with John Bocut, Director of Information Systems and Network Director for the Spanish Fork Community Network in Spanish Fork, Utah. For more information on Spanish Fork, follow the tag at muninetworks.org. You can also check out their site at sfcn.org. Please continue to send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at communitynets. We're on Facebook. Search for Community Broadband Networks. Thank you again to BKFM B-Side for the song Raise Your Hands, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you again for listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Mm-hmm.